North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. You've tuned into the Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to the Dr. Lowe Show. Welcome back. It's Dr. Low Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. Thank you so much for being with me, hanging with me on the air, learning with me, growing with me. It's a new year and love the energy of this new year. Even just writing the number seven for the 2017, I like it so much more than writing a six. I don't know why. I just feel like this fresh, exciting energy about this new year and so much I'm creating. I finishing, putting my finishing touches on my vision board, just really getting clear on what it is that I'm excited about this year. And my podcast is going to be a really big focus for me this year. One little exciting thing is in my backyard, I have this little building that I'm going to have turned into a home studio and recording studio. <clears throat> of course, it'll be I'm sure just a simple home version, nothing too fancy, but I want to start bringing this content to you guys in more of a video kind of format. So I'm going to be learning the ropes and how to do that. Um, a lot of it is just figuring out as I go, but that's how I've been doing a lot with, uh, you know, everything I've created. You just kind of jump out there and you figure it out and you make it work. Um, so, but I know that for a lot of you, you like watching content rather than listening to content. And I know for myself, I'm a big, huge YouTube junkie and love watching videos. So excited to bring that to you. By the time you get this, um, recording on your iTunes library, I will probably already be in Thailand. So I am headed to Southeast Asia shortly, headed to the airport in just a few minutes. Um, and just really excited to, to just take some time to recharge and get away for a couple weeks. Um, but I will still bring, I will still be bringing you the, the podcast, um, did some work to have the shows recorded ahead of time so that we can still, I can still give you some good content. So, uh, let's see what else guys. Oh, <clears throat> any of you who are interested in Maybe doing some testing to get to the root of things for yourself. If maybe you wanting to go into getting some hormone testing or getting some blood work, um, digestive, you know, digestive health uh, assessment, all that stuff. I work with patients locally in San Diego, but all over the country. Do phone appointments. We have a whole team of doctors at Shine Natural Medicine. We are here to support you if you need any any support in getting your health back on track, or maybe you have a family history of a certain condition. You just wanted to look into it for yourself. That's the beauty of naturopathic medicine is you don't have to be sick to become a patient necessarily. You can come in already healthy and just wanting to optimize things. So uh, we'd love to support you. Our website is shinenaturalmedicine.com and we would love to help you. And a little love to my show sponsor, Organifi. Gotten some feedback from from some of you guys who have tried 
Organifi and are loving it. And I'm excited to hear that, that you guys are enjoying it. I'm, um, actually my bag is full of Organifi to take with me to Thailand because I know on the road, it's obviously a little bit trickier to eat healthier, especially airport food. Uh, it's getting a little better, but still can be a little tricky to, to eat well. So I have the little travel packs all packed up so I can make sure I get a green juice every single day. And if one of your goals for 2017 is to be healthier, in my opinion, one of the very best ways you can do that is to have a green drink every single day. There's just so many phytonutrients, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants that you're going to get in some in greens drinks. And then if you want to juice every day, awesome, go for it. And if you're a little lazy like me and you want to make it a little easier, then just get yourself a greens drink. So I love Organifi for that reason. And as you guys know, it also has ashwagandha, which is super powerful for stress. It's going to be helpful for me when I'm on the road. Obviously, jet lag is real. So anything that helps the adrenals to balance and become more resilient to stress, that's really what it's all about. So the reality is stress is always going to be around us. Life is always going to have ups and downs, but getting your own physiology to the point where you are more resilient to stress, that you can handle things easier. If you, you know, if, if life comes at you and you feel like you just want to crawl into a hole, it's a good indication your adrenals might be a little tired. So giving them that extra love is really powerful. So Organifi.com, you can pick up your greens drink. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And special for my listeners, if you enter Dr. Lowe at checkout, you'll get 20% off. So that is Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com and enter Dr. Lowe to get your hook up. All right, you guys, let's jump into the show. I'm excited for my topic tonight, which is all about food and the mindset of eating and healing past traumas and how we bring all our past crap into our present and just a lot of the mind connection that I think is just at the root of so much, even when it comes with our health, comes to our health. So I have a special guest on the show and without further ado, let's jump into it. All right. I'm so excited to bring my guest on the show tonight. We have the the amazing Roy Nelson joining us to talk all about things in the area of addiction and recovery. And it's something I think is so powerful because so many people are dealing with these kinds of issues. And so we're going to dive in 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 just a sec. Just want to give you guys a little bit of information about Roy. Roy is known as the quote unquote last resort for those who cannot stop their self-destructive habits. Over 35 years ago, Roy cracked the code on his own addictive personality. As a result, he lost 120 pounds and he overcame a myriad of addictions such as depression, panic attacks, phobias. And based on his personal experience of total freedom, Roy developed the Nelson Method, 28 Days to Freedom, a plan of spiritual healing that is designed to help people heal from their own personal hell even when all over other approaches have failed. You can learn more about this over at RoyNelsonHealing.com. Roy, thank you so much for being with me. Welcome to Dr. Low Radio. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. It's so good to have you. And I'm, I'm, I've been familiar with your work for a few years now, and I knew it was something I wanted to share with my listeners. So give us a little bit more about you personally. So tell us a little bit about your story and, and what led you to do the healing work that you do today. Well, I always say I almost died at birth, and then I kind of went downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did. I almost suffocated. I was, I was born at home, and I had the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck, and I was choking, and I almost they'd almost lost me. But and the doctor wasn't there. The midwife was there, and the doctor finally showed up. And anyway, so but I from you know I was born into a really tough place with some tough people, and 
you know, alcoholism and poverty and all, you know, just all the violence and everything that went with being in a tough place and being not equipped for it, you know. Um, mm. So basically, I was looking for relief. I was terrified my entire life. I mean, my entire childhood, uh, always terrified, um, always in threat of physical violence one way or another, whether at home or at school or in my neighborhood or on the way to school or at school or whatever. And uh, so I was always looking for some relief. I mean, I was a relief-seeking missile. I was basically... You know, to begin with, what we have, to, you know, what we have as options. As little guys, we have fantasy, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> masturbation. We have food, you know. I mean, you know, then, of course, I added cigarettes. And, uh, you know, I worked from the time I was a little kid, always looking for making money. And, you know, because we didn't, I was really poor. Our family, you know, and just, you know, I, I, uh, I started smoking cigarettes when I was about 12 and, you know, I I was always, uh, um, you know, addicted to junk food. I mean, I was I was uh, I, I almost in addition to almost dying at birth. Uh, not long after that, I was malnourished by by breast milk, and I was ultimately the doctor told her to put me on uh, condensed milk and uh, corn syrup. Wow. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was, I was hooked for, I was hooked for being an emotional eater forever because you know the sugar. I was always looking for something sweet, you know. And uh, so anyway, then of course uh, I left home when I was fourteen. I was always working with adults, you know. The you know I was always in over my head. I was just a kid and the, the, always worked with grown men and grown women. And the first, you know, the first women I was with were in their thirties, and I was like fifteen and. You know, I mean, I, you know, I left on, went, I went away to the army the day I was 17 and served, uh, you know, seven years, eight months and 20 days of combat units. And I was married when I was 20 to a woman who had a child and we had a little boy about a year and a half later. And then we had twin boys less than a year later. So before I was 23, I was a father of four. Wow. I was always in over my head. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I needed a lot of relief. And, uh, of course, I started drinking. You know, I didn't think I'd ever drink when I was growing up in that in that terrible alcoholism, you know, place. I didn't think I'd ever, you know, you know, the violence and everything that went with it, poverty. I didn't think I'd ever drink until I drank, <laughs> and I realized I realized what a drink could do for a fellow like me, and it made a you know, it helped me. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, alcohol is an amazing drug, as far as I'm concerned. But <clears throat> anyway, so. You know, I got out of the army when I was 24 years old and I, you know, I didn't have any money and I didn't have any, you know, really formal education. I was really just, <clears throat> and I had a, you know, a lot of responsibility and basically then it was about making money. And of course, then that was, I was obsessed with that. And, you know, I found something I could do that made a lot of money and, and legal, it was legal. And <laughs> I, uh, um, I basically, by the time, a couple of years later, I was moving into a big house in the country club section and the house and the cars and the, you know, all the toys and stuff that go with a successful life. And of course, by the time I was 28 years old, I was making rounds of psychiatrists for my phobias and panic attacks and anxiety and all the stuff that goes with it, you know, because, <clears throat> you know, I, and, and so I did it, went to the doctors for about four and a half years and I learned a lot of good things intellectually and I found some very good doctors 
But you see, I was looking for an intellectual solution to a spiritual mm. problem. Mm. And there, there, as you well know, there isn't one. So I learned about a lot of good things intellectually, you know, from the doctors. And a lot of it I still use today in the work that I do. But um, anyway, it, it, you know, at the end of the line, I was dying. I was 32 years old. And I thought many times out there in that wilderness how comforting it would be if only... I could, you know, believe in something in God, but I, you know, I had so much religious insanity from my childhood that I, I knew there was no God. And then the other thing is, based on the way I was living, my best hope was that there was no God, because if there was a God, the kind of God I'd heard about, then I was in serious trouble. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, <clears throat> but I, I had an experience when, uh, at that time in my life, um, uh, you know, some people were running a religious campaign of some sort in those days. And, you know, when you're dying, you become open to things you wouldn't otherwise be open to. And uh, one day I called and they sent me something in the mail, which I didn't think much of until one night late when all my painkillers had failed me. And I had, guys, I had a bag of pills. I had, you know, the doctors always prescribed pills. I didn't like pills, but I had a bag. I had Thorazine, Malaril, Valium, Librium, and some others I can't remember the name of. <laughs> there was a time when I used to hire a doctor, a registered nurse to travel with me so they could give me IVs of Valium or sodium pentothal if the terror got too bad. Of course, I smoked cigarettes, I drove big cars, chased fast women, just hopeless, hopeless, hopeless case. That was me. And uh, <clears throat> one night when all my painkillers had failed me, I picked up this little pamphlet these folks had sent me and I don't know who, the, who they were then. I don't know who they were now, but they, it, 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 they hit me at the right time. And, and this wow. little pamphlet said, even if you don't believe in God, if you ask God for help, he'll help you anyway. Mm. And I had nothing to lose. I was a gambler and I had nothing to lose. And if you could picture, you know, I was 275 pounds at that time. If you can picture a big old 275 pound baby rolling out of his bed onto his knees, crying out to God he didn't believe in. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that was me. But uh, I had a peace that came over me that night like I'd never experienced before in my life, ever. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, that was the barest of beginnings. Uh, based on that, though, the, I started losing weight, and I'd stopped smoking about six weeks earlier, frankly, because uh, my wife at the time had started, had wanted to stop, didn't think she could, and, when she finally got some help in stopping, I, I realized she was serious after a couple of weeks and I stopped smoking just out of concern for her. And then of course I was about 260 pounds at that time. And six weeks later, I was 275 pounds. Right. So, mm. you know, anyway, just, but all of those things are symptoms and you know that that's, you know, everything, all addictions are symptoms and every addiction has three components. It's a painkiller, form of escape it's a form of punishment mm. and uh, so i was definitely you know i was using him for all those things and uh anyway so <clears throat> there i was 32 years old and uh i was a a father a husband a homeowner a businessman a veteran and i had the emotional development of an infant mm because I'd been using something to medicate my feelings from the time I was a small child. And so they tell me that growing up is painful enough when you're going through it at the appropriate age. But I can tell you, if you postpone it a few decades, it's painful. 
Mm-hmm. You know, growing up was a painful process for me, but so I, you know, I, I started, uh, you know, I started looking for people who could help me, and I found uh, a lot of people helped me a little bit, and a few people helped me a lot, but I could never find anything or anyone that had all I needed. So what I had to do was gather pieces and bring them into my life and implement what I could use and discard that which I couldn't use, and then ultimately package that into a to a program of uh, you know of recovery that it really in my experience see I'm a product of my product mm-hmm. I, I basically I have been healed by the very means that I offer to other people and uh, <clears throat> it's really the process of unlearning you know right. my experience is you don't have to go looking for the truth it's a matter of looking at the untruth and the myth so, I mean nobody faulted nobody intentionally poisoned me with faulty data but you know when that's all they had to offer that's all they could give me Mm. and uh so you know from conception i personally believe i brought baggage with me from previous lives but even if that's too much for someone to grasp or to believe from conception we're all gathering data and it's all going straight into the master computer we have no filter no discerning capability and uh, based on the faulty data, we formulate faulty beliefs, faulty core beliefs. Based on the faulty core beliefs, we formulate our philosophy for living. That is our way of navigating our way through the hostile world we perceive ourselves to be in. And then based on the faulty philosophy, we build our lives. And I built a life that required me to use excess food, cigarettes, alcohol, pills, psychiatrist you know i mean in other words everything i was constantly looking for some relief and i used a lot of different types of things but all those things you know people often think that whatever their symptom is they think that is the problem but you know Mm -hmm. people with eating problems think food is their problem now people with alcohol problems think alcohol is a problem and on and on but the truth be known those are the things that we use to try to cope with the problem Mm-hmm. The problem is the tornado that we have going on inside. So I'm about helping people feel safe enough so that they can let down their guard and start looking at some of the things, looking at themselves, their lives, and the people and the circumstances in their lives and start to dismantle that faulty foundation that caused the problem in the first place. And so... My experience is people I work with uh, are uh, within the first visit or two, I offer a 28-day program for people who to recover from anything. But it really doesn't matter what the symptoms are, even if they don't have any of these symptoms that I've mentioned. Uh, <clears throat> but what happens is within the first day or so, all the addictions fall away effortlessly. Mm. And uh, they effortlessly start to lose all their excess weight. They start to lose appetite for things that aren't good for them. And they gain an appetite for things that are good for them in, a, in amounts that are good for them. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's all, it happens or, or, you know, really organically and, and effortlessly if we start to look at the real problems. And so from my experiences, the, the, the real problem is deep within and the solution is deeper within. And there's no real, doesn't matter what the symptom is. There's one one problem, as far as I can tell, there's one problem a human being can have, and that is the perception of being separate from spirit. 
Mm. Now, I know that we can't, in reality, we can't be separate from spirit because we are one with spirit, the spirit deep within that I'm talking about. But we can have the idea, the belief that we are, and if we think we are, we act like we are, we feel like we are. And so for all intents and purposes, we are, even though we, we can't be. So I'm really about helping people face the things within themselves. They're lots of, lots of, you know, facing their pain. And see, as long as I had the pain, I'd always crave the painkiller. As long as I had the fear, I would always crave escape. And as long as I had the guilt and the remorse and the self-hatred, which we all, all people like me have, I would always require punishment. Mm. And so for me, you know, I'm about helping them face the, deal with the pain in a, in a non-scary way, deal with the fears and deal with their guilt and their self-hatred in a non-scary non-judgmental way <clears throat> there's nothing anybody could ever tell me about themselves that would shock me and there's nothing anybody could ever tell me that would cause me to judge them mm. and consequently that makes it safe for people to get honest and uh and to, you know so that's basically in a long roundabout way what i'm mm. about <laughs> wow it's, uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening, their minds are just blowing at, at the moment. Cause it's like, it's, it's, it's actually really simple, but it's also very profound, <laughs> all the things that you just said. And, uh, and I can hear about with your personal story, how it was like one addiction after the other and how it was just this, like you said, this inner tornado and, it's just like, you didn't have time to deal with the real problem, which you said was a spiritual problem because you were constantly being sucked into a different world of an addiction. And I can see how this is so rampant in so many lives. I can see it for myself in different areas and how all of these are just distractions. And it's like, we can't stop to deal with the problem if we're constantly go, go, go. And there's never that moment of, of just stopping and and for you it happened to be a moment where you found yourself on your knees and actually praying it was like it finally all came to a head in that moment and um what a beautiful gift you know it's not a comfortable thing to go through but it's that's like when you got your life not back you got it for the first time really because you said of how things were ever since you were born and and I'm um, what I'm wondering is, you said that you were looking for an intellectual solution to a spiritual problem. What what was your spiritual problem exactly? Well, the, the spiritual problem, I call it religious insanity, <clears throat> and manifested mostly as sexual insanity. Mm-hmm. That is, the religious insanity teaches us to be afraid of God and to believe that our sexuality is bad. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, this process, and, and certainly, uh, you know, and consequently, you know, people, it, alcoholics and drug addicts use, use alcohol and drugs to lower their inhibition so they can not worry about the feeling bad about their sexuality. And, of course, compulsive eaters use food to bury their sexuality. And people like us, they vacillate between promiscuity and completely being completely asexual. Uh, but my experience is it's like a volcano. The more you're, the more prudish someone is, the more obsessed they are with sex. Hmm. And, and consequently, the more, you know, so, but my experience is the idea that, that 
essentially what 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 many of us learned was to take our second strongest God-given instinct, bury it alive, pretend we don't have it, and we'll be happy. Now, I don't know how more insane anything could be. <laughs> the first instinct, obviously, is survival, period, survival. And that's the survival of the individual, and that's breathing air, drinking water, eating food, having shelter, you know, protection, that type of thing. So in other words, the food addiction uh, is, is obviously, in, in any instinct, addiction is essentially an extension, over an extension of the natural God-given instinct. We obviously have an instinct for survival, so we need to eat food. But then when we're, when we're overly terrified, essentially people like me are overly sensitive, abnormally fearful. Now, Another person could have listened to that stuff they were preaching in Texas and back in those when in my childhood and not thought twice about it, just going on about their business. But a terrified, sensitive little kid like me, we, we, we take this stuff on and, and, it, and it, it's really, it, it, and of course, we walk away from it from the time, you know, when I was a young, when I was at adolescent, I walked away from the religion. But it's like, you know, you can take the country out of, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. So I thought I'd walked away from it, but it was still haunting me. And a lot of other things that went on, you know, abuse of various and sundry sorts. But to me, the worst abuse was teaching that God was, that I was bad and that God was a punishing, vengeful, mean God, which is the furthest thing from the truth. So this this process is really about unlearning, unlearning, mm-hmm. letting go, letting go, defragging the master computer. See, the entire problem with any problem, <clears throat> every problem anybody has uh, on the outside is really uh, has its roots in the subconscious mind, in the, what I call the master computer. Mm-hmm. And see, that's where it has to be unlearned. And it, see, that's where it can be what I'm, you know, I mean, People can say they intellectually believe, but it doesn't matter what you believe intellectually. Right. Right. It believes what, as the famous carpenter said, it's what you believe in your heart. What you Mm -hmm. think in your heart is what's going to manifest in your life. And, of course, the heart, as I understand it, is is the subconscious mind. And uh, so that's that's where it comes up. And so what my experience is, people have no idea what they're, what's driving them until they get safe and get and get still and get comfortable. And I'm about helping people feel the, the feelings that they're terrified of feeling. And that's really all it really is. It's not like we're in any real danger nowadays where we are, at least in, in the civilized part of the world. You know, it's just that facing, you know, facing the, it's just the feelings that we're afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, you're just feeling and you won't die from feeling your feelings. You, you know, you die from trying to avoid the feelings. But <laughs> they know? can feel like it sometimes, right? Like it's, it seems like it. Yeah. yeah. Well, because <laughs> the thing is, see, we had feelings brought up in us in, in such a tender age that we weren't emotionally equipped to handle. And then we bury those feelings. And then of course, every time we come near them, we run and use something or eat something or drink something or run something, you know, whatever. And, and we reinforce the fear 
then it's too much for us. So convention, so we're, so we're running, 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 running as fast as we can run. And it's nipping at our ass. And we think, God, if it ever catches me, it'll kill me. But in reality, it's like a bully chasing you home from school. If you turn and face it, it'll dissipate. Mm. And so I'm about helping people feel their feeling. What I call face it, embrace it, and erase it. Mm-hmm. And it's like us running from this invisible bully, like you said. So much of what we do and these addictions that we have are to numb or become distracted from or even to, uh, you know, punish ourselves from invisible bullies that we oftentimes make for ourselves. Absolutely. That's exactly what happens. It's it's all all an illusion, you know, Mm -hmm. and but the thing is, it it can also kill you. I mean, people die every day. Sure running from these bullies that don't even exist, mm. you know? So that's, that's what I'm about is just basically helping, helping people feel, deal and heal. One of the things that you said was you were talking about how, when you work with clients that, you, that you have them look at their faulty core beliefs and, mm-hmm. you know, that ultimately form their philosophy for life and what they build their life upon. And I'm, what I'm wondering, what, what would be some common beliefs that you find with clients that they hold true to that may not be, you know, well, that, that they're, they're, that they're stupid, they're bad, they're ugly that they're unworthy, they don't deserve good, they, they're bad because they're sexual beings, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, I mean, just, just a lot of craziness. I mean, just a lot of, you know, that they, they don't deserve to be successful. They don't deserve to be happy. They don't deserve, you know what I mean? Just all the, all the absolute, what I call fear is absolute faith and absolute negativity. Mm. It's, you know, it's just all, just all bunch of negativity that's that's not real. I mean, it's just, but, you know, it's just uh, very, people like us are, you know, like me and, the, you know, the people I work with are very, very sensitive. And so we feel, feel, feel very deeply. We hurt deeply. We crave deeply. We hate deeply. We, you know, we love deeply, you know. We, it's, it's just we're strong feelers. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, naturally, uh, you know, acting on those feelings can cause us a lot of problems. And, you know, that's what I did. My experience is as long as I had allowed the fear of my feelings to dictate my actions, the fear and the feelings got stronger and I got weaker. Mm. But when I started letting my actions dictate to the fear and to the feelings, and I got stronger and they got weaker. Mm-hmm. See, Mr. Emerson said, take, you know, he said, do the thing and you shall have power. Well, the way I interpret that is you take the action, you'll tap into the power. Mm-hmm. And what we're talking about, see, and now when I talk about God, please, I want people to understand that I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about some bearded man in the sky with a clipboard taking names. I'm talking about the sweet spirit that resides deep in the heart of every person. That sweet, sweet spirit, your higher self. Hmm. That's the God we're seeking to connect with. And that's the God that can well up in you and fill you with love instead of fear. Mm -hmm. That's the one that can make you free and guide you and direct you and prosper you and 
heal you and you know just every every imaginable thing you need it doesn't have the solution it is the solution mm. from it's, from something that there really wasn't a problem anyway yeah, right exactly. <laughs> absolutely it, it is the entire solution so the one problem that that every human being has to, and I'm not talking about you or your audience, so please don't get defensive yeah. on me. But, <laughs> but the one thing that I that every the whole human race, as far as I can turn, excluding you and your audience, of course, <laughs> the, whole, the whole human race has some degree or another a fear, a, a, this terrified imagination of this God. I, mean, it's, I call it religious insanity. I think it's, I think, it's, I think it's human race wide, and obviously, lots of us have it a lot stronger than others have it. But, but you know, somehow, some way, that we're separate from this because many of us are taught that this this God is in heaven and that's some faraway place or whatever. And I'm not cutting on anybody's religion. A lot of, a lot of when I when I was hitting bottom. I looked around me at some religious people. I knew not one of them was as bad off as I was. So I'm not cutting on anybody's religion at all. I mean, I hope you all know that. I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the insanity that resides, you know, what I've looked at over the years at insanity in general is it's re, it's all based on what I call religious insanity. And I don't mean I'm not cutting on anybody's religion. I'm just saying the fault, faulty beliefs that we have about God, about ourselves and about other people and all the, you know, all the various and sundry things that come as a result of the faulty beliefs. Yeah. Some people think they are, you know, psychotic people invariably, they think they're Jesus or they're Moses or they're some, you know what I mean? Oftentimes or it's just, you know, whatever it is. I mean, it's just not cutting on anybody. I just want everybody to know that it's just sure. uh, a lot of faulty, faulty, faulty beliefs deep within our subconscious mind. And many, most of us, and myself included, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I thought I had walked away from it at all. You know, I'd risen above and I'd walked away. You know, I, I thought I'd walked away from all the insanity. And, and uh, you know, and, and, you know, my, you know, uh, my, you know, within my family, my dear grandmother, you know, was heavy into telling us all about God, what God was going to do to us. And, you know, right. you know and of course, you know, these are, and, and these are people you believe. I mean, these people you're, that are taking care of you, you know, you believe that stuff and you take it on. And anyway, neither here nor there, but I, I, I personally believe I chose my curriculum and uh, I, I'm grateful for all of it, every single bit of it. Uh, everything that happened as far as I'm concerned was a gift mm. and because my experience is everything on the outside is really an opportunity to refine on the inside mm. and the inside, the inside is eternal the outside is temporary you know we're temporarily you know, black or white or yellow or brown or whatever. We're temporarily male or female. We're temporarily straight or gay. We're temporarily educated or not. We're temporarily this or that or whatever. But the essence of us, we're temporarily human. 
but the essence of us is spirit. Mm. And the essence of us is eternal. And so what I'm, you know, for me, this, this whole area, this whole level of existence is, is a school, is an opportunity. You know, it's an opportunity to refine and, and, you know, to get better and help other people get better. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what we need to be doing. And so that's what I've devoted my life to is helping people who literally can't get the help they need by any other means. And it's, yeah. I don't mean to be any big shot or anything like that. It's basically the sweet spirit working through me to touch the sweet spirit within them, mm. which is really what makes it possible. So, yeah, I think yeah. there's, there's so much, so much powerful language in, in what you just said. And, and, and I'll share for myself personally, born and raised Christian, still identify as Christian. My mm. view of my, you know, it's so funny. I love how interviews kind of take their own life. Cause you know, I didn't know we would be talking about this, but I think it's great. I and, <laughs> and, and my, you know, but I will say that a lot of my view of religion had changed a lot over the years of, like you said, seeing God as this, you know, scary, like going to judge me and, you know, I'm going to go to heaven, hell, like these scary right. kind of imagery to really shifting into God is love and I'm love and I, and I, you know, God is within me and it, you know, I have a very different view about that now. And it's, and it's, it's really taken um, a progression away from, the good or bad, the shame stuff to really just being grateful and just being so thankful for the life I have and for the mastery who I am and everyone is, and there is no separation. And, um, you know, and that we are all infinite really, regardless of what you believe, uh, you know, and it, it's like, everyone is totally free to believe where they want, of course, you know, but this is, this is my experience. This is experience you've had and, and something that has made a massive change in your life. And for me too, of, of seeing that we are all the same and that there is no separation and, um, and, and taking, taking that care to take a step back to look at the addictions. And because if, if there is this view of, there's a good or bad. And therefore if I'm bad, then I need all these things to have me, you know, escape that or deal with that or cope, cope with that. And I can see how that completely, uh, has a connection to addictions and for so many people who deal with that. So I, I do agree with you. I do believe that addictions are a spiritual problem. And, um, so I love this and I, and I'd love to dive in a little more into each specific one too. So we, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, alcohol, sex addiction. I'm really curious about the food addiction piece because I think sometimes this can be viewed as, okay, whatever, it's just a food, like stop eating it, you know I mean? But truly this is something that people are dealing with. So I'm curious with your approach of dealing with addiction, is there something that's unique to each different addiction? Is it all kind of the same approach? Um, and you know, do you consider food addiction, a serious problem, like as maybe alcoholism or drug addiction? What's your take on that? Well, first off, let me, I'd like to backtrack just for a minute. And you were talking about your being, you know, being raised Christian. And and I just want to share with you that I'm totally a student of Jesus. Okay. So I believe Jesus was a master teacher and, um, you know, I, I mean, absolutely unbelievable. And, so I'm, I'm not in any way uh, cutting on any religion or anybody's beliefs at all. And, of course, I work with people from every imaginable religious background, and they all have unlearning to do. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, 
and people who have never been to religion have a religious insanity. You know what I mean? That's not, so it's not, it's nothing to do with any, anybody's religion. I don't know. Hope people mm-hmm. know that. No, I think it's great to clarify. Yeah. yeah. I don't mean to be offensive to anyone at all. No, not at all. You know, but, um, <clears throat> I, um, the sex addiction, of course, is always the primary addiction because people think it's free. Hmm. People, you know, people you don't get fat, you don't get drunk, you don't, you know what I mean. But, uh, but, and of course, the 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 food addiction is the hardest one to, I mean, really to overcome. Uh, if you were looking to, if you're trying to treat the addiction, if you're trying to treat the symptom, the food obviously, food is absolutely an addiction. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, it's, um, my experience is that it, it can be healed. Uh, if a person just has to be able to get, be willing to go deeper and to see a lot of people, a lot of alcoholics can stop drinking or they can stop using drugs, but they still can do everything else if, mm-hmm. if they want to. And consequently, they don't have to get very well they don't have to get really that honest or that free. In other words, you know, I mean, obviously, and, and a lot of down and out hopeless alcoholics have been able to turn their lives around and God bless them. And they still smoke and they still eat, you know, junk and they still, and, and God bless them. I'm not cutting on them. Please understand. I'm not ever meaning to be cutting on or judging anybody or, you know, I'm, I'm superior to no one. I'm, I'm blessed that I had so many addictions. I didn't know I had any. Okay, because I had, you know, and I was morbidly obese. I was completely dependent on alcohol, had a bag of pills, had a a box of legal paraphernalia that I could, could, you know, have a a nurse or a doctor give me IVs, you know, what I mean. And, you know, I mean, I had so many addictions that I I really didn't relate to any. I didn't relate to being a compulsive eater, even though I was morbidly obese. I didn't relate to being an alcoholic because I had, and most, that's another thing too, is that I had a lot of preconceived ideas about what an alcoholic was. You know, I knew some alcoholics in the military would go too far away from alcohol for too long. They'd go into seizures, you know, and they'd have to be called, hauled off in an ambulance. I didn't relate to that. When, you know, my dad, not long before he died, he had esophageal cancer because he drank straight liquor right out of the bottle for decades and uh, not long before he died, he had a tube in his stomach for feeding. They poured alcohol into the tube. So, you know, I, I had ideas about alcohol. I had pre- a lot of preconceived ideas, but the point is it doesn't matter even if a person has no addictions and most addicts don't want to think they have addictions. You know, I didn't, re- I didn't, you know, but it doesn't matter whether they think they do or think they don't. If they come to see me, they're going to feel safe enough to get honest. And it doesn't matter what they're suffering from, whether it's an addiction or not. A lot of people are suffering from panic attacks and, and anxiety and crippling phobias and depression and wouldn't relate, you know, to having an addiction as such, you know, but um, anyway, it's, it, it doesn't matter what it is, but some, you know, to my experience, I couldn't be free of any of it unless I was free of all of it. Mm. And so, you see, what I had to do is I had to heal the addictive personality. Because, you see, the person I was would always have the problems I had. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and they can manifest, you know, can, you can, you know, otherwise you're changing one addiction for another, for another, for another. And a lot of people do that. A lot of yeah. people go on a diet and then they'll start spending money or they'll get become promiscuous or, you know, that's what happens with many eating people with eating problems. They'll obese people will lose their weight and they'll become promiscuous and they'll put the weight back on because they're, they're not emotionally equipped to be promiscuous. Mm. You know, so it does, I mean, it, it, you know, it doesn't, it, really, my experience is there's, there's a solution for the, for the problem. And, but we have to deal with the underlying problem. Otherwise, you know, it's like taking morphine away from a person with a gunshot wound to the belly. You can take it away, but if he's, if, unless something's done to repair the wound, it's not a matter of if he's going to have to have it again. It's really a matter of when and what form and how much. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a great long, analogy. Yeah. You got that pain, you're going to have to have the painkiller at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and there's lots of different ways. You know, there's many, many ways of seeking relief that will literally prevent you from getting recovery. And the industry at, in general, whether it's eating disorder treatment centers or, or alcohol and drug, so they're largely treating the symptoms. Right. And, you know, they, they, because they think the addiction is the problem. They think the eating disorder or the obesity is the problem. And I'm here to tell you, and people are having their bodies maimed with surgery, trying to get over being obese. And I don't tell you, I can tell you how many people I've known that have blown out the staples or blown out the, you know, the very over the year, obviously over decades, the surgical procedures have changed. But it's it's amazing how many how people learn how to be obese even with their jaws wired. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, because see, if you have the if you have the pain, you got you got to have the pain help. Right. And in my experience, is the only real way to to not have to have it is to deal with the pain, and and so that can be healed. And uh, and again, I don't mean to preach to anybody. I man, I've got no. I have no room to be preaching to anybody. I don't, and please, I hope nobody takes it that way. I'm just, it's just, I'm very passionate because see, you see, I was, I was going to die out there Hmm. and I had no way out. I'd done everything I knew how to do. And I wasn't going to the doctors for any addictions or anything. I didn't think I had any addictions. I was going for the underlying problems, you know, the various, you know, fears and phobias and panics and, and anxiety and panic and stuff like that. But even those things are symptoms. And yeah. so, so that's, you know, that's where I found myself. And so basically I devoted my life to helping other people overcome these various problems. And, you know, once again, uh, uh, people, it, it's amazing. Uh, you know, people, I've, people have come with, every imaginable problem you can think of. Now, uh, I want to make it sure people understand that I don't broadcast uh, the names or the stories of the people I work with. However, some of the people who have worked with me feel so grateful that they want to be part of the outreach and have volunteered to do videos, video testimonials, and other written testimonials so on my website, there people can can read or and can actually watch video of some of me, and then also some of the people who have volunteered to 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 to, to do testimonials there. So, but it really it, it doesn't matter what a person is suffering from or what they perceive. 
they're suffering from because usually, you know, obviously it, it, you know, for anybody who's been obese, it's, it's a terrible thing. It feels, it really hurts, you know, and, and to be, even to be out of control with your eating, even to not have the control to, to determine what you're going to put in your mouth, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, you know, any addiction is hell. They're all, you know, but particularly if, you know, if a person has been obese or, but I've seen people who are more uh, motivated to get, to keep 10 pounds off. than I have a lot of morbidly obese people who settle into the lives of quiet desperation and don't even consider that they could ever be free. I didn't think I could. Right. Yeah. I, I didn't think I could ever be free of being morbidly obese. Well, and I think that's what happens is that, is that, you know, you become closed to possibility. You don't even realize what life can, can look like. I see this a lot in my practice when people come to see me for, for different health issues. They don't even know how good they could feel. I ask them like, how's your energy from zero to 10? And they're like, well, I'm just kind of used to being tired all the time. So to me, normal. So I I love that. It's really about, you know, lifting the veil off the eyes so they can see something differently. So let's get into like the, the practical, part of what to do about it. So what would be some things that people listening can do to begin this journey of healing for themselves? Okay. Well, one thing would be, of course, awareness. Uh, One thing they could do uh, on my website, I have a quiz. Are you an emotional eater or a food addict? And a person could, uh, could check that out. Uh, it's uh, roynelsonhealing.com slash quiz. That might be helpful to someone. But, you know, the thing is, uh, interestingly enough, one of my doctors that I started, that I was going to, wanted me to learn how to meditate. And see, I started meditating three years before I hit bottom. Hmm. And so I meditated every day, twice a day for th- about three years before I turned to, before I was willing to turn to God. Mm. So, you know, it's, uh, that's a meditation is a powerful, powerful thing to do. Uh, really to slow down, settle down, let, let whoever you are catch you. Well, I would strongly recommend meditation. Mm. I have a question. I have a question about that for you. You said that you started meditating three years before you hit rock bottom. So, do you see meditation as something that was effective for you? Because I'm sure someone listening will go, "Well, gosh, you three years and then you hit rock bottom." Or did you feel like it was part of you opening up to having that? Oh yeah, that it was part. Of, it was part of the process. If I'm, if I'm, anybody had told me at that time to pray, hmm. I would I wouldn't have been able to do it. You see that the, the the you know we start from where we are, and uh, I was constantly running from myself, and the meditation helped me to let me catch me. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. And of course, I, but I continued to overeat. I continued to drink. I continued to to, you know, do all the things I was doing that were outside my code. Um, and, of course, naturally, I got progressively worse. I got pro- progressively sicker. 
you know, a big part of my, a big part of my life, my feel goods came from my business prowess, if you will, <laughs> you know, and being, being successful in business. I grew up in poverty and then I was in the army for seven years, eight months and 20 days. They didn't pay very well. So when I finally was making money, I thought I was quite the lad, you know, I thought I was quite a, quite a clever fellow, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, one of the big things that happened for me at the end of my uh, journey out there, uh, I had a marketing company and, and uh, my major client, uh, because of changing in the market and the regulations and one thing and another, they, they were at going out of business. So that put me out of business through no fault of my own. And I had people working for me and, I, you know, it was Christmas time and, you know, I had so I mean, it's a good thing I had big shoulders in those days because I sure as hell needed them. You know, I was carrying the world on my shoulders and I, I had, you know, my brother had just left his job to come to work for me. And, you know, I had so much guilt. I, mean, I felt so terrible about these people and their, you know, their lives and, you know, everything that was happening. And, uh, and of course, naturally plus my, and myself, I wasn't, you know, what was, you know, what was I going to do now? And, and all that. And, just everything combined. Every it took the stars had to line up to drive me to my knees, and I'm grateful that it only took what it took because I know there's enough pain out there to make any to make me go to my knees. But I was fortunate that it only took what it took, and I was forced. See, my whole life, coming from a childhood of being very sensitive and fearful, my idea of how to survive, my philosophy was to become tough. Right. My philosophy was to be a tough guy and to be, and that's one of the things about being over a hundred pounds overweight is nobody wanted to aggravate me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean you know, that was scary looking dude. And, and again, and I'm not bragging about that. I, you know, I kept them out, but I kept me buried in that prison I was in, you know, so I'm not in any way bragging about that. I'm just simply saying, you know, it's just, I was terrified of, I was just terrified, period. And uh, so, you know, for me, it, it, it there's plenty of pain to drive me to my knees, but I was fortunate enough that I was sensitive enough and fearful enough that it only took what it took. Mm -hmm. Some people, see, some people have to die out there. Many, many, many. See, the nature of this condition that we're talking about, it's a terminal condition it's fatal and it's progressive and and it, it always left untreated it always gets worse i was not born 275 pounds okay <laughs> so it, it's a progressive condition uh, so i was very blessed that it only took what it took for me because i know people that have many people die from the condition and never ever get the help they need and this is another reason that I've devoted my life to helping people overcome it because most people have no hope of overcoming because especially people with the, the eating problem. Now there's help for people who can over, you know, to go, a lot of people go to AA and stop drinking and oftentimes they die from other addictions, but they do their lives, you know, they do turn their lives around. Uh, but for, for the eating problem, 
you know, a few people are, you know, able to overcome it, getting a death grip on the food and, you know, that type of thing. But unless they can control it by diet and exercise, as far as I know, there's nothing out there that's going to, that's going to heal it. A lot of even think people, certain people call themselves a spiritual program, but they're still about control. And my experience with a spiritual approach is about surrendering control. Mm-hmm. And so my, that's my only hope. I, and I have, and frankly, I have no power to surrender. It's only, it's only God's sweet, loving grace that makes it possible for me to surrender mm. myself unconditionally. Yeah. Because, you know, because in and of myself, I don't, in and of myself, I keep fighting. I don't have the power not to fight. Um, but, uh, so the one that's most hopeless, as far as I can tell, is the, is the, the eating problem, you know, the mm-hmm. obese. I didn't consider myself having the eating problem. I knew I was, I was obese. I was morbidly obese. As far as I'm concerned, the way I was eating was normal. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, that's just, the, that's just the insidiousness of the condition <clears throat> because we can, you know, we can't, we can't see what we can't see. We can't hear what we can't hear. And we don't know we're not seeing it. And we don't know we're not hearing it. Right. You know, it's like, it's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. Well, there's so, so much healing that's possible. And I, I love, I love the work that you do because it really does get to the root of things. I see it very like a naturopathic medicine approach of that people come in to see me and they have, you know, a long list of symptoms and I don't even focus on the symptoms. I'm getting right. to the root of it. So I, I love this approach. And to me, this makes a lot of sense. And, yeah. and, and, and I could talk to you for hours. So, but for the sake of time, I'd love to give maybe if there's one thing that you want to tell people who are, like we've said, are hurting themselves and who have these destructive habits, what would be like the one nugget that you could give to them? Oh my God. <laughs> I wish I could buy you for what you think you're worth Mm. and sell you for what you're actually worth. I would be a very rich man, but frankly, I wouldn't sell you. I would keep you. (laughs) I love it. It's beautiful. Roy, I just want to thank you so much for being so gracious with your time today and spending some time with us. I love the work that you're doing. It's so incredibly powerful. You're helping so many people really just wake up to who they actually already are. And it's such a, you know, beautiful line of work that you're doing. So I just commend you for that, acknowledge you for just the incredible pain to passion that you have had this, this transformation for yourself and, and you're making such a difference in other people's lives. So keep doing what you're doing. I hope to have you again on at some point. And, um, yeah, just thank you for being here. I thank you so much for having me. I just want to, I just want people to know that, you know, people, you know, it's just unbelievably how, how bad we think we are. Mm. And I, you know, it's just unbelievable. You know, there's not, we're not, it's just unbelievable. I just, you, you, you people are, are angels and, <clears throat> you know, it's just, <sighs> It's unbelievable just how, what we do to ourselves, you know. Mm. Anyway, you're not that good at being bad either. (laughs) Not as good as you think you are. I have a challenge for all of you listening. I did this exercise a while back and it was incredible. 
I challenge you all to write a love letter to yourself. Absolutely. Because if we were really as sweet to ourselves as we are to to other people, (laughs) I think it would be uh, a different world. So let's, let's take on that challenge. I'll do the same thing. Okay. You guys all write a love letter to yourself. It could be a sentence or it could be 10 pages, whatever that looks like for you. Um, I want to put one more disclaimer on, on anything I've said or it's what I do. It's for me, that's, it's all grace. It's absolute unwarranted, unearned grace. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, anything I do to help anybody, it's a sweet spirit working through me touching the sweet spirit within them. Well, we are getting it today. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Roy. (laughs) I'm giving you a big old virtual hug and, um, you know, looking forward to, to continue the conversation. You have an amazing evening and, um, we'll talk with you soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.